If you are somebody who is extremely social, I'm not one of those people and likes to go to conferences and to go to hang out with friends a lot and things like that, there's a really good chance you might be, you might be able to find a career transition through that network. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Kate, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. How's the summer job market? It's picking back up again, actually. I've been uh, seeing a noticeable increase in jobs and applicants and also people looking to hire individuals in the last week or so, actually. So it's been looking good. Actually, why don't we talk about that? There's the myth. Well, I'm assuming it's a myth because you just addressed that it is getting busier. They say that summer tends to be a slower time for hiring, but you're saying that it's actually picking up in the middle of uh, the summer time. Yeah, I think a lot of businesses are now planning their their hiring and onboarding strategies a little bit better than we've seen in the past. I think the pandemic definitely threw a wrench in the equation. But now that we've hopefully recovered from that, what I'm seeing is that the beginning of the summer is typically slow. People are getting to, to take the time off and enjoy some time off with the kids and things like that, organizing their summer plans as well. And then now towards the end of July now, we're definitely seeing a pickup companies knowing that it takes at least two to three weeks, ideally to interview a candidate and actually keep the integrity of the interview process between the phone interviews and then the first and the second interview as well, as well as to give them obviously a chance to give notice to their current employer, which takes us now to middle of September, ideally for that person to start or to be somewhat trained on their new role. So I'm seeing this sort of more proactive approach to recruitment nowadays and definitely happy to report that it is a myth. All right. For someone who is thinking that, oh, I'll just wait till after Labor Day when people are back to work to start applying, you think that's actually too late. You should actually start applying now if you're looking. I do, absolutely. And the reason being is because we see a lot of obviously interns and co-op opportunities, summer jobs and things like that. And so if you are somebody who is enjoying a little bit of time off during the summer, and considering looking for employment, I would definitely say now beginning of August is a great time to start putting yourself out on the market again. Great. And the reason why I brought you on is you are a career coach yourself, just like me. And it's always good to have other career coaches on my podcast to talk shop to see like what you're seeing in the market compared to what I'm seeing in the market. And I think a lot of my listeners will get some insight from a different perspective and, and not just me when they see my LinkedIn content or when I do my own uh, solo podcast. So before we dive into uh, interview strategy, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit more about your expertise in the career coaching space and how you got into it? I really got into it actually, not by fluke. I don't want to say that because I don't think everything in life happens by fluke. What happened was in early during the pandemic, I found myself unemployed. My husband and I were also expecting our second son and my husband was actually unemployed for different reasons that had nothing to do with the pandemic, but restructuring and things like that. And we were in a very tight situation and my background actually comes from retail. So I've spent over a decade and a half working in different retail stores and then a part of the HQ uh, as well. And so fortunately or unfortunately, I ended up finding a short-term contract. And then when I started my maternity leave, so this is in the midst of, you know, lockdowns and things like that, 
uh, a lot of my previous colleagues had started to come to me for support because they knew that at that point I had already been an HR uh, manager and a recruiter. And obviously in either one of those roles, you typically look at hundreds of resumes. And so they came to me and they asked me for help on how to transition their skill set from retail or some people from the restaurant industry. So think about all of those industries that were really seeing a lot of shutdowns and a lot of layoffs and a lot of business closures as a result, started coming to me asking me for support on what skills to highlight, how to build a resume that speaks to other industries, as well as potentially some of the online offshoots of those industries, right? So e-com spaces and things like that. And that is how I got started. And it's been incredibly rewarding because I got to take hundreds of people through these transitions as a a Sherpa, right, as somebody who's done the transition myself to then talk the talk about how to transition into different industries, how to highlight those relevant skills, how to maybe build on some of the education or certificates and things like that to really bridge the gap between where they were and where they wanted to be. And then how to build those interviewing skills to be able to highlight all of those things. So you're not just a restaurant chef or you're not just a sales associate or a store manager at a retail location, but you are capable of so much more. And it's been an incredible experience, I have to say, seeing people succeed after months of struggle of being able to or not being able to transition, sorry, into the role that they want firsthand. It's an incredible experience to get that email saying, we did it. I got that job. I'm super excited to start, right? So from your experience, when professionals reach out to you and are seeking your guidance, and I'm assuming most of them have been in the job search for many months with a lack of success, there's some common mistakes that you've seen in their job search that you identify when you have that consultation call with them. I think not being able to pivot. So I've had a lot of clients that have put their resume out there. They started getting some interviews and there's a particular piece of information or software or a particular relevant experience that they're missing. And so they continue going out there and saying what they have in terms of experience and not addressing the fact that they might not have this other missing piece. And I think for me as well, when I was doing going through my job searches in the past, it was very important to identify a pattern of where I got stuck in an interview and what, for the lack of a better word, turned employers off of hiring me and be able to address that. So as I knew that something was a particular concern, I would typically take a course or try to develop that skill set, or maybe just we live in the digital age, right? All of the information is available online. And so being able to go out there and at least speak to those missing pieces of information through at at the very least education, maybe not hands-on experience is important. So I do find that the biggest mistake that people have is the definition of insanity of continuing to do the same thing over and over again, hoping for different results. That's never going to work. So that I think that's the biggest takeaway. And then also not being open to opportunities. So as companies or recruiters would come to them and they would say, no, I'm strictly looking for an office manager role. And this is not that job title. You have to keep an open mind. Getting into into a company that might have really great culture, really great development opportunities, a really robust corporate ladder could result in you getting that dream job, whatever that is, in a fairly short period of time. But you have to start somewhere as well, right? So they might have a culture where they promote from within. And that means that you're going in at entry level and that's okay for a short period. 
Yeah, a lot of people that are trying to make career transitions, they want to get that dream job, get that dream career transition right away. But again, there's many ways to skin a cat, so to speak. And a common thing is maybe go into that company in the same role you're in and then talk about wanting to make career pivot. It's way easier to change positions internally than trying to change positions externally. Totally. I totally agree with that. And in regards to like industries right now, what are some hot industries that professionals should look into if they're looking to make a career change? I don't know if there is necessarily a pattern there. I think there is hot spots in every industry, right? For example, I do a lot of work with people that are, you know, again, in in sort of office administration positions in different industries, and they're trying to create a transition into another industry in a very similar role. Real estate has always been hot, obviously, right? A lot of tech companies are booming right now. A lot of software as a service type companies as well. I don't know if there's one particular industry that really stand out, stands out, but I think you can, if you have the right skill set and I think the right attitude, and I know that's very hard to quantify, but I, I think you can be successful in any industry. I think it's really for the job seeker to identify where they see themselves, where, what they want to be doing, and then try to bridge the gap between their current skill set and what's required for that position. And they will do amazing in whatever that industry is, right? There's always opportunities, I find. And on the topic of career transitions, how can someone tailor or write their resume cover letter LinkedIn profile for that career transition they're trying to make? So like hypothetically, let's say someone who's an office manager or administrative assistant, they want to change fields and get into marketing as example. How can someone write a resume that talks about those transferable skills? First of all, we need to take a very good assessment of the skills that you do have. I'll, I'll give you a very good example of a person that didn't realize the skill set that they actually had. I had a client of mine that came to me for, she was going through a transition and she was she had an education and experience from another country. She was from South America. I can't remember exactly where, but she was from South America and she was a doctor of oncology, actually. She was a professor of oncology back there. And when she came here, obviously her medical degree didn't quite transfer here, but she was looking for a role as a corporate trainer for a company that sells medical devices. And when she came to me, she said, I don't have any training experience. They're looking for training experience. And I looked at her and I said, you were a professor of oncology. Were you not training other adults and people in the medical field to perform surgeries or identify masses and whatever else. I'm not going to speak to that because I don't have the first clue about what that actually entails. But you were in a position where you were training individuals all day, every day. That was your job. So to say that, so to say that you don't have that experience would be extremely silly. And so it's a matter of identifying. So even as an office manager who wants to be, for example, a marketing associate, as an office manager, you're often advertising positions through Indeed, through ZipRecruiter, through LinkedIn and things like that for your company, meaning that you're writing descriptions for jobs and as well as the company itself, right? You're writing that employee value proposition. You might be also advertising certain events that are happening within your business. So for example, I come from retail. Our office manager was very well versed on what's going on in e-com trends as well as other things. And whenever we had a big warehouse sale, for example, it would be that person's job to make sure that it goes on to all of the proper platforms, such as radio, such as newspapers and things of that nature. And so we also had an internal mailing list as well to our clients. 
And so she's touched on all of these marketing things. And perhaps she doesn't have the in-depth knowledge of Google Analytics and all of these things. But again, that's fixable. So knowing that's what that job is requiring and then going on to great sites like obviously LinkedIn Learning, Udemy.com. There's so many others where you can take a course over three to four hours, get a certificate. You can include that into both your resume. And then this way, whenever somebody's looking at you as a whole person with all of your experience, you can address the fact that, yes, I don't have any hands-on knowledge in that particular task, but I did take the time to be proactive and educate myself on that. So I think that's the best way of highlighting what you do have. And hopefully they'll be willing to train to the pieces that you don't have yet. Sometimes when it comes to career transitions, it's a battle with yourself. And what I'm getting to is the term imposter syndrome. So how can people who want to make a career transition, but they feel like unconfident in their abilities, try to be more confident when they're looking to make that career transition? That's a great question. I, I certainly can't claim to be the expert on that. I've had imposter syndrome, I think, throughout the last five years of my career. And I, I use that sparingly. I, I think there's the humility that comes along with admitting that I don't know everything. And I assure you that nobody does, right? There's not a single person here that doesn't have a moment in the day that says, oh my goodness, what if they find out that I don't know how to do this or that I've never done this before? And so even if you're the most qualified candidate, we all have these sort of heart palpitations when somebody asks us a really tricky question. So I do think it's a matter of overcoming that by knowing that you are capable of learning, right? Everything in a job is a learned skill. And nobody knew all of these skills going into it. Whether they had the education, but not the experience, those are the very same people that you are now comparing yourself to saying, I have the experience or some of the experience, but I don't have the education piece. Those people that are graduating college or university with the, that degree are having just as much, if not more, of an imposter syndrome as you are, right? And so I think it's a matter of being content with the fact that what I don't yet know, I will learn because everybody else does. And I'm not, I'm not any smarter, but definitely not any sillier or less intelligent than somebody else. And as long as somebody's willing to show it to me, I'm happy to learn. I think that's the mindset that we need to get into when we're looking for a job. And it's okay to admit and say, I, I haven't had exposure to X, Y, and Z, right? I'm definitely willing to learn and I will take it upon myself to to find the information as much as I can, but I might still have questions. And I, I think that humility is really attractive, right? In, in candidate, whenever they can admit and say, even in the beginning of the interview, when people say, listen, I'm a little bit nervous. I haven't had to do this in 15 years. I'm okay with people admitting that to me, right? Because it just makes them human. And when it comes to looking at job ads, when you're making a career transition, it might be intimidating for some. The rule of thumb from what a lot of career coaches, experts are saying is like, if you have let's say 60 to 70% of uh, what they're looking for in the job ad, by all means apply. But what's your thoughts in terms of analyzing a job ad to see if you're actually qualified to apply so you're not wasting your time and potentially theirs? I would agree with that exact rule that you just mentioned. If you have at least 70% of what the employer is looking for, then yes, absolutely. You should be applying and addressing any sort of gaps And when you get to the interview process. With that being said, I do see, and I'm sure so do you, I see a lot of extremely unqualified candidates that it seems like they're just throwing their resume out to whoever will catch it. And I do think that's obviously A, a waste of the recruiter's time and B, even a waste of their own time and setting themselves up for disappointment, right? If you don't have any 
office management or office experience whatsoever, and you've done a job at, let's say, Tim Horton, which there's nothing wrong with that in customer service, there's a good chance you're not going to get that phone call for the office manager position unless you can show that you were managing the location or managing the staff or managing a certain aspect of the managerial duties. But if you can't, unfortunately, there's a really good chance you'll be disappointed by saying, goodness, Max, I sent out 200 resumes and no one's calling me. Respectfully, I'm an HR specialist by trade. If I was sending my resumes for a job of an architect or an engineer or a doctor, it's probably a good chance I'm not going to get that phone call. And thank goodness, because a bridge will collapse and somebody will probably die if I ever get that job, right? So I think we have to take that with a grain of salt and say, yes, 70% of the job description are usually the core basics that we need to have. And then everything else is nice to have. But then there's also the completely unqualified. You're making some quantum leaps here from one to the next, and probably not advisable. When it comes to making career transitions, there's obviously applying online and networking. What's your thoughts on both those strategies when it comes to making a career transition? I think both are very strong strategies. I think in order to be very effective at getting into a transition through networking, it could be very effective. But you have to know how to network and you have to know where to network, right? Um, You have to be a very confident speaker and to be able to concisely create that elevator pitch in a very short period of time to be able to deliver the message. If you are somebody who is extremely social, I'm not one of those people and likes to go to conferences and to go to hang out with friends a lot and things like that. There's a really good chance you might be you might be able to find a career transition through that network. And all the power to you. You and I know that a lot of jobs are not advertised on any sort of media at all. They're word of mouth, right? And so I think that piece is definitely important. But if you're not someone who is extremely socially active or super comfortable yet with networking, then Indeed or LinkedIn or ZipRecruiter are definitely still really great bets. But that isn't to say that you should just give up on networking altogether. I think it's a skill right? It's a muscle that we learn how to flex and we learn how to be better and better at it. And at the end of the day, even if you found a job that you're really happy with, networking and creating a really great sort of strong social network of individuals who might be aligned with our careers five years from now could be really beneficial and it'll allow for you to make the transition without even potentially starting to look for one at all. Yeah, going back to what you said about if you're not comfortable networking, applying alive through LinkedIn or Indeed is still a good avenue. I were, I spoke to a professional, I think a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that he can't find the job because he doesn't feel comfortable networking. And that if you have a good resume and it's tailored, when you apply online, you can still get a good opportunity because networking, you might, yes, you might be building connections, but it may not have a position available for you at that moment while applying online, like they have an immediate need. So don't, I know there's a lot of career coaches that say that online applying doesn't work. But again, if you have a good resume, I truly believe that you can still get responses. So don't uh, shy away from applying online because you think that it's putting your resume into a black hole. As we, as you just discussed, majority of people who apply are not really qualified for the positions they're applying to. They're just spraying and praying. Yes, I totally agree with that. And we, as a recruiter, I get a lot of resumes as well. And I'm going to say probably 70% of them are not qualified individuals for the role. And so don't get discouraged. I know sometimes on LinkedIn, if you see a role that says, oh, we've had 269 applicants in three hours, most of the those applicants aren't you. And if you bring something amazing to the table, as long as your resume can highlight those special abilities and those skills, 
there's still a really good chance that you're getting that phone call for an interview. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure if people are still using these outdated tricks, so to speak. For example, keyword stuffing. Do you still get a lot of those like old practices on the resumes to game the system? Not really. No, luckily for me, I don't think I've seen too too many of those, but I still do see a wide range of all kinds of different resumes and formatting that is both antiquated or really futuristic to the point where you really lose the meaning of the entire resume. So I see a lot of that, but no, I don't see a lot of sort of those buzzwords and things like that or the the keyword stuffing. I do use an ATS, an applicant tracking software for my resume. So typically it's pretty good at weeding those out. How about AI with resume writing? Have you seen a lot of AI resumes? Like you, you can't tell us from AI or you don't really see that as uh, much as people? Uh... I haven't seen it yet. I feel like that's coming probably in the next six months. I feel ChatGPT and all of these other AIs are still relatively new. So I haven't seen that as much yet, but I think that's going to be, that's going to be the case probably six months from now. However, keep in mind, and this is something that I give as advice to everybody, a resume has to reflect who you are, right? And respectfully never will because it's not you and it doesn't know you. And so it can create a really pretty description of what you are. But if that's not the language that you normally speak, right, I I can tell as a recruiter pretty quickly between the very first encounter that we have that you probably didn't write that resume. And while it's perfectly fine to use resume writers, they have to get to know who you are. So that resume is truly reflective of you and not who they think the employer wants to see on paper. And as we discuss the job interview process, we've discussed like doing the clarity work in terms of what your transferable skills, putting that into paper on the resume. Let's say, let's talk about the next stage of the uh, job process, which would be the interview. So what are some tips in regards to answering those common questions in the first round screening call, such as, tell me about yourself, why you're looking to leave your current job, what your salary expectations, those questions that recruiters tend to often ask in the first part of the interview process. I think my opinion on them might be a little bit different than, because I sit on both sides of the table, right? I'm both a career coach and a recruiter. So I get to ask those questions and answer them sometimes as well. And so for me, a question such as, tell me a little bit about yourself, is typically not asking for your personal life history, right? Or where you're from or how old you are, or how many siblings or children you have, right? We are actually very strategically walking away from all of that personal information. We're talking about your experience. The question of tell me about yourself, the way that I love to hear it answered is sort of a, this is where I've been. This is what I've done. This is where I am today, which answers the second question about potentially why you're looking to leave your current employer, right? I'm looking for better opportunities or I'm looking to transition into another industry that I've been really fond of for the last five years and then the where you're going. So it's this past, present and future kind of an answer to it in terms of your career. Nothing else. I don't want to hear about how many times you've been divorced, right? And although sometimes that information is pertinent because you could be moving from one city to the next or one province to the next. So sometimes those pieces of information are important. Again, I would caution against disclosing too much personal information. You you truly don't know who's sitting on the other side of the table and what their subjective beliefs are. I prefer it answered that way. And so I feel like when you answer it in terms of the, the past, present and future, it allows for the recruiter to understand your career trajectory so far and then what you're hoping to achieve in the next couple of years which also answers a lot of other questions that you typically get in interviews, such as where do you see yourself 
in three to five years and all of that stuff, right? And I would not focus so much on titles because again, you don't know what kind of promotion rate the company has. I would focus on skills. This is what I've learned, right? Don't focus on the industry, focus on the experience that you bring to the table. Focus on what you're hoping to achieve in this role and that hopefully what you're hoping to achieve in the next, I'm going to say two to three years, because I have no idea what I want to be doing in five years for full transparency. But I think if we can structure it that way, that's important, but also showcasing a little bit of your personality, because at the end of the day, I can tell you as a recruiter, and maybe that's not a very popular answer. For me, it's really important to find the right fit between my client and the candidate. And what I often do as a recruiter is that I go into the office and I get to know the personalities and the communication styles, the management style, all of that is important to me. And then when I meet the right person, I can say, yes, do they not only have the skill set, but I think they'll be a great fit and they'll feel very much at home within this team. And so showcasing, if you can, a little bit of your personality, maybe you've got a sense of humor like I do, and I can't tuck it away for the life of me right? I think that piece is important. And if that's not your cup of tea or you're not their cup of tea, that's okay too. Because as much as I've had candidates reach out to me after I had sent that rejection email, which I don't like sending, but I have to, they would reach out to me and say, hey, do you have any feedback? Or can can you tell me a little bit about what might not have been the right fit for the team? I would often say, it's nothing to do with, with you or your personality. It, it just wouldn't be there. I unfortunately can't disclose too much information usually about things like that. But I also know that I wouldn't be doing them any favors by giving them the job that I know that they're not going to happy be with in the long run because they won't feel like they belong or that they're a part of the team or that they're well received, right? And on the flip side, I get to, when I find that perfect match and I see how things start to work together as that person joins the company, and they continue to climb that corporate ladder, get raises, get appreciated and praised. I know that I've done a great job because everyone's happy. It's a 360 all around. This was a good hire. You make a good point, but it has to be like a good mutual fit. Uh, candidates tend to want to make a good impression. So they're trying to put up this image and try to give answers that they want to hear. But again, as an experienced recruiter like yourself, you probably see that they're trying to, they're not being authentic and you can tell that from a mile away and they're actually hurting themselves compared to just being true to themselves and answering question, answering the question that's being asked the way that they would actually answer in a real situation. Yeah, 100%. And a trained recruiter will, will usually know that. And then we typically do a battery of personality assessments or pre-screen, whatever those the clients require that show those inconsistencies, right? So you could be telling me one thing, but your tests are showing me something completely different. And that's a bit big red flag. But I do think that at the end of the day, like you were saying, Max, as much as the company is interviewing you for a position, you should also have the authority to interview the company and see if that's the right fit for you. Coming to the table with the right questions, whether based on the company culture or the job description itself that you read and you're like, I'm not really super clear on what that part meant or whatever that that something is you should have enough value and respect in yourself that you should be asking those questions to the company at the end of the day if they believe that you might be the right fit should be trying to impress you as well oh, that, so that's how you uh, catch people who are uh, lying so like they answer questions one way they give them a personality assessment and they basically gave away that they're not a lot with what they said the other thing that you said mentioned earlier which frustrates a lot of candidates is not hearing back whether it's not giving uh good feedback or 
not giving any feedback at all. And professionals are so like fed up with that process because like they want to know like why they didn't get the job so then they can improve the next time. Obviously, I think there's also some legal issues that they don't want to say something that might be discriminatory, whatever it may be. So what's your what's your thoughts on that conflict between companies need to protect themselves and candidates wanting to get feedback so they actually know what they're doing wrong in order to improve on the next interview that they go to? Yeah, it's definitely a really tricky question. First of all, I think a lot of people don't hear back because recruiters are inundated with so many resumes that it's we pick out the top 10 percent and we don't contact anybody else just simply because of the lack of time as things happen in corporate business all the time and unfortunately that doesn't leave hr managers or recruiters a lot of time to respond to everybody yes the the second aspect is the the legalities of how much feedback you can release and one of the things that i despise on resumes is those scales when they say out of five dots they fill out like three and a half or the bars i'm sure you hate them just as much what i for example if somebody says i know three and a half out of five dots in excel and for me i don't know what that means i don't know what the other dot and a half that you don't know who assessed it so if i was to go back to a candidate and say listen we didn't hire you because your excel is not at a hundred percent it's only at this self-evaluated 65%. And they say, and then they usually start this back and forth conversation of you guys should have performed the assessment, or I don't know what parts of Excel you're looking for. And I say, we're looking for all of it. That's why we list it as Excel being the t- tool that the candidate must know how to use. And so you get into this back and forth, this wishy washy category. But at the same time, I've also, like I mentioned earlier, I've seen cases where the candidate skill wise is probably just as good as the person that we hired. But there could be a personality conflict or I see that they're extremely assertive when we already have some really assertive personalities on the team. So that might cause some conflict and things like that. How do you turn around and say, hey, Max, you're just too assertive for my team. It's such a judgment call and it feels like you're being judged, like you've done something wrong. Meanwhile, being assertive is an amazing quality, but you just can't have too many assertive people in one office, right? They'll probably kill each other. So again, I think everybody should be their authentic selves when they're interviewing and let the recruiter or the hiring manager decide whether or not that's the right fit for them. And trust me that they're doing you a favor and also not hiring you for that particular position and knowing that they're bound by some legal obligations of not disclosing too much information. You made a good point in terms of making sure that they have a good personality that would fit in the culture. Like a good analogy is professional sports teams. You can't have four superstar players on the basketball team because then there'll be egos clashing, people want the ball more, and there's a lot of uh, conflict. Compared to if you have like maybe a couple of star players and then a supporting cast that knows their role, that tends to be a better cohesive team than trying to hire, for example, as you said, a bunch of assertive people in one team. Yeah, that's a great example, actually. And all of these, the other, if I was to use another sports analogy, it's like when World Cup soccer happens, right? You have all these amazing players playing on all these different teams that they are recruited to play for, right? So whether you're David Beckham and you're playing for, what does he play? Manchester United? I'm not Yeah, sure. yeah, back in the day. He's, he's retired now, but yeah, back in the day, yeah. But I think he played for teams from other countries as well. And so you have all these star players that are playing on different teams. And then during World Cup, they come back together to their country of origin, right? To their, and now they have to play with all of these other players who are maybe equally as good, maybe almost as good, 
but they've never played with them before, right? So there's this adjustment period of, okay, I'm a great soccer player individually, right? And I play really well with the team that I've been playing with for the last five years, but I don't really know if I can play with these guys, despite the fact that they're just as amazing. Now we have to find the synergy. We have to find this chemistry. We have to have a great coach who's going to walk us through all of these different transitions and things like that. It's very similar to employment. You could be the most amazing star player, but if the team feels like they won't be able to play with you, then then unfortunately, there's a good chance you might not get that job. And going back to what you said about like recruiters get mundane, but get bombarded with a lot of resumes. There's a, there's that rule or there's that statistic that res, that recruiters look at resumes for six seconds or less. You recruit yourself. I'm not sure if that's actually true, but like when you quickly skim a resume, what do you specifically look for? I look for ex- experience, right? Whether that's in the same industry or not. I look for any sort of relevant experience. Recent education is another thing that I always look for. So it doesn't have to be college or university. It could be just online courses that someone's taken to constantly develop themselves. Formatting, I'm not going to lie, formatting does matter to me because especially for certain positions, such as, for example, a marketing manager, I expect that you should probably know how to format a resume if you're claiming to be a graphic designer and a marketing manager. And right, I think that piece is really important. I think the length of a resume and my ATS will call out any sort of spelling errors when I see them. That's a big no for me, obviously. But it's also little things like some people like to add their LinkedIn profile link to their resume, which is wonderful. But considering that probably 99.9% of recruiters are now looking at resumes online, make sure that you're not putting the entire hyperlink into your resume. It's, it's actually hyperlinked to a word that says LinkedIn profile, right? So it's, again, it's little things like that showcase to me whether you're right for the role based on the role, of course, itself, right? But because we hire for a lot of these management, sort of senior leadership, as well as administrative roles, I expect somebody to know how to add a link to a a sentence or a few words and things like that. And so I think for sure formatting these little nuances such as hyperlinking things. And then again, experience and education, it doesn't have to be the exact experience I'm looking for, but it does have to be somewhat relevant, or at least you have to be able to correlate to what it is that you're applying for. If you're an office manager and I'm looking for an administrative assistant, that could work. If you're an office manager and you're looking for an executive assistant role, that could also work, right? So again, I just have to, at that point, I'm done skimming and I can actually read your resume and say, okay, based on these six bullet points and these two accomplishments that you've chosen to list on your resume, I can see that you might be a great candidate for me to talk to because it sounds like what you're actually doing in this office manager role is very much aligned with what I'm looking. Are job titles really important to you in terms of the resume? So let's say you're hiring for a marketing manager and let's say they're only a marketing specialist or they're a project coordinator. So how much does the job title, when they don't have it, matter to you when it's evaluating candidates to move them in the uh, process? I think, again, it depends. So for example, if you talk about a marketing manager versus a marketing coordinator, in different companies, they're just called different things, but they're actually executing the exact same tasks, right? Versus... For example, a marketing intern or somebody who's at a really junior level. If I'm looking for managerial qualities, there's a chance that you might not have them unless I can see that you've had other jobs in other companies or other industries where you've managed people or projects. In that case, I will definitely consider it. I have to see the connection. Also, I think when people do list their skills or their areas of expertise on their resume, that's important for me to know. 
to see that if leadership and leadership and mentorship is something that you list as a quality of yours that you're particularly fond of because you obviously only have limited space to list so many qualities, then maybe I'm going to ask you during a quick little phone conversation and say, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about this leadership and mentorship that you have listed? Where did you have a chance to actually hone those skills? How much experience do you have? How many people have you managed? What projects have you managed? What was the budget? Blah, 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 blah. When it, when it comes to the, uh, going back to talking about the interview process, so we briefly touched upon if you get selected well, with your resume for at least a recruiter screening call, you move forward in the interview process. Usually when it comes to like the standard interview process, you got the recruiter screening call, then the next interview could be with the hiring manager or the hiring panel. And then there may be another interview to talk to executives. What's the different evaluation points when it comes to going from the recruiter screening to the actual 30 to 60 minute interview with the hiring manager, hiring team, whoever may be more deeply involved in hiring this candidate? Well, I think when you usually get that screening call, it's usually what, five, 10 minutes tops. And what they're looking for is consistency. They're looking for you to pick up the phone and hopefully speak coherently, speak to the experience that you have, be able to answer any sort of quick fire questions, rapid fire questions is what we're going to call them, right? If I say, hey, Max, what job did you have six years ago? Why did you leave? And I hear that you're rustling through pieces of paper trying to remember what job you've had six years ago. Chances are something is not really quite right. If you ask me what I did six years ago, I could easily tell you I don't have to consult a piece of paper for that. So I think on that initial interview or screening, they're looking for consistency. They're just looking to verify that you are, in fact, who you say you are and that you do exist and that you are still looking and check on your availability for the next interview. Typically, right now, what we do a lot of is we do a lot of Zoom interviews for that that second contact piece. And that could be a hiring manager, a one-on-one interview, or it could be a panel. It could also be recorded sometimes to then be shared with other people on the team that might not be able to be present, obviously, with the candidate's consent to be gained. And there, we're really looking for more. I think, for me, that's where I typically look for a lot more of the technical stuff. I'm really looking to ask more behavioral questions. I'm looking to dig a little bit deeper when it comes to certain software knowledge, experience transitioning from one software to to another. Whatever that role is, we're really deep diving into the specifics of the job. We're then sharing more information with you as an applicant about what our expectations are and things like that. And then if there is another touch point of an interview and it's obviously uh, an in-person potentially and things like that, I think that's where, based on the first two touch points, we're really looking at the personality fit and the right fit culturally for the team. There's more behavioral questions, but they're more focused on, I, I find, people interactions as opposed to the interactions with the software or even the clients. Right. So we're asking questions such as, do you recall getting feedback from your manager that you weren't particularly fond of? Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Can you tell me a little bit about what you did with that feedback? How did that feel? What did you do? How did you respond? How did you internalize it? How did that help you later on? Or did it help you later on? Or did you think it was just so there's all of these things. And I I think all of them are important. Because you don't want to be blindsided by somebody having an amazing personality and you're like, wow, I could totally work with this person eight hours a day. And then they're not very good at their job because they don't know what they're doing or they're easily distracted or they're super sociable and they're chatting by the water cooler half the day. And so I think all of those are important. And I think it's also important to have different team members, right, or different members of management to 
sit in on different parts of the, the interview process so that everybody can collectively chime in together and hopefully come to a conclusion that this is, in fact, the right person for everybody. A common mistake that I think professionals make uh, when it comes to in the, the interview process where you're talking to more than just the hiring manager is they concentrate so much on the hiring manager, they forget about everybody else. But I think like other people in the interview process, they're there for a reason. So the hiring manager may ask for their opinion of this individual. And if they see that, oh, I was completely ignored by him, it's going to look bad on you. Do you think that's a big factor as well in terms of like collaboration aspect of things? For sure. I think... It's funny, actually, I was just talking to a friend of mine. She just got a job offer and we're going through the interview coaching together. And she called me to share this with me. And she said her last interview for this role was actually just this morning. And she said there was everybody. There was the hiring manager. There was the the VP of finance there, the previous office manager who now manages another office. And so there's a whole bunch of these people. And she said, I couldn't figure out why the VP of finance would be there. And I said, based on your job description that you've shared, it sounds like you have a dotted reporting line to the finance manager. And so that person's important because although they're not your direct supervisor, they are, right? And so if you're doing anything to do with finance, if you're touching accounts payable, accounts receivable, whatever that is, that person needs to know that you're just as solid doing that task as you are focusing on everything else. I totally agree with you. I think if there's anybody invited to the panel interview, they are there for a reason and you can't have blinders on with regards to just speaking to one individual or speaking to one particular aspect of the job that you think is important. Because at the end of the day, a job description typically has, let's say, 10 bullet points of stuff that you're going to be doing. And so you've got to put your thinking hat on and figure out how that correlates to all of these other people who are sitting in on the interview process. When it comes to Interview answer format, star format is a good one. Situation, task, action, result. Car format, challenge, action, result. I think that's what car format is. Is that still the right framework when it comes to answering interview questions? Or is there new things uh, that are happening in the job search expertise space? I like star and the SAR methods myself, but I do think that they're usually most applicable to any sort of behavioral or situational questions. There's a lot of questions that aren't behavioral or situational. If somebody says, tell me a little bit about your expertise with QuickBooks and you're applying for a bookkeeping position, you can't really apply either one of those methods. And I think it's, again, I think you have to pick and choose where it seems the most applicable. I do both of those. However, I do find that some people make them extremely long when it comes to their answers because they're trying to squeeze in every possible detail. And while detail is really important, I, I sometimes you tend to lose the attention of a recruiter, right? I find myself sometimes getting one eye on my emails, especially if I'm doing a Zoom meeting, right? Or I'm scrolling through Instagram on my other on my other screen. And so this is the part where I think it has to do less maybe with the length of the answer, but more so with the quality of the answer and engaging them and engaging through body language, through eye contact, through everything. I've sat through so many interviews where a person clearly memorized a script of an answer and it sounds exactly that way. You sound like a robot who is trying to read from a piece of paper. And it could be because you've done through so many interviews at this point that you literally have this sort of attached to your memory that's possible. But at the same time, again, there's so many things that I am assessing as a recruiter 
while you're talking, it's your communication style, it's your engagement rate, it's everything else, right? It's your body language and your eye contact and so on. And it's interesting to me where people just focus so much on the actual content that they forget about all of these external cues that I'm watching for, right? And if you can't maintain my attention, and I'm pretty good at paying attention to things, I think some people might disagree, but then there, there's really no, I think, no chance that you're going to get further in the interview process. Yes, structuring your answers, I think, is important. However, it's also important to remember that you are talking to a human being and you must sound yourself like one as well. Uh, speaking of interview mistakes, you already mentioned a couple, for example, talking too long. So the quality of answer is going down as the longer it is. Memorizing answers without actually like building rapport with the interviewer. What are some other common interview mistakes that you've seen and experienced during your in your recruiting career? I think one really big one that really annoys me is when people talk about everything in terms of how this job would benefit them, right? They, if I ask, why do you want this job? And they would say, I want a job because I have to pay the bills, which we all do. Or I want a job because it'll give me a, a huge opportunity to improve my skills and to really get myself ready for the next opportunity. That's not at all what anybody in my chair wants to hear, right? I want to hear how you're going to benefit me or my client in this case, right? I want to hear about how many years you're going to stay here and grow internally as opposed to getting a check mark on your resume and then moving on to the next best thing, right? So that is a really big part of annoyance to me. People being late, I think that's common courtesy. I think people not preparing at all for the interview, not looking up at the company, what they do, who they are, just really not knowing, just showing up and hoping for the best. And I think also, and again, I, not that I'm ever going to discard your resume entirely because of this, but people not coming prepared physically in terms of how they look, right? This is a professional meeting. This is your first impression if you get a chance to meet anybody over Zoom or Teams or, or in person. And I think that first impression is so important. And I'm not saying that you have to be in a suit and tie all the time, but it depends on the job, obviously. But just being tidy. There's been a few instances where I conducted an interview over Zoom and people are showing up in their bathrobe with a towel on their head. And then that's not appropriate. It's a waste of my time, right? It's disrespectful. I'm not showing up with a towel on my head, right? Because uh, I just got out of the shower. Thanks for showing up. But, but I can't present that to a client and I don't want to because that's going to make me look a little bit questionable in terms of what I do, right? So again, I think just tidy appearance. You don't have to go and buy a $1,000 suit. It's not about that, right? You don't have to be dressed to the nines so much. So I think as long as people see that you obviously kept your appearance in terms of making sure that you're the right person or you respect the environment enough at least to, to put on a pair of dress bands, that would be great. So I, I think those are some of my biggest sort of call outs. And, but my biggest pet peeve is when people make everything about them when it is. Yeah. Again, like you want the paycheck, but they're hiring you to solve a problem, right? So you have to sell yourself in a way that you are the solution to their problem, right. which is this position that they're looking to fill. And the other thing that's frustrating for job seekers, obviously we are already discussed about lack of feedback, but then the waiting time between interview rounds, again, like I've heard that interview processes are a lot longer than they used to be. How can, what do, what do things happen be, between interviews and how can people, job seekers stay motivated when they're taking long to hear back from the companies they're interviewing for, whether it is the next step or the job offer? I think there's a lot of 
sort of nuances here that, that play a role. If you're applying for a very large company, and I worked for a very large company where there are so many tiers of approval to move on to the next level, that's where you typically get into these long waiting periods and four or five interviews sometimes, right? Unfortunately, that is the challenge. I think to address that, just staying in touch with a hiring manager or whoever interviewed you the first time, making sure that you're following up, not an annoying three times a day kind of a way, right? But maybe once a week, maybe once every two weeks and asking them what the reasonable expectation is to hear back and when the decision would be made. This way, you are you at least know if I say, Max, it's going to take two weeks for me to hear from the hiring manager because they're on holidays right now or they're traveling, right? At least you know that you obviously, the interview went fine and you're just waiting for feedback. So no need to call Kate a hundred times a day, right? With smaller companies, you typically have a flatter organizational structure. So you have a lot fewer people involved in the hiring process, which usually creates for a much faster hiring process, which are the clients that I really like working with, right? So it's those small, medium-sized businesses that I know make decisions quickly because they're in a pinch, right? And that is why they called me because they've tried recruiting on their own. It didn't pan out. Now they're like, we needed to hire somebody five weeks ago and Kate to the rescue, right? So I think that's, th- th- those are the ones that I really like working with. Even as an employee, when I was one, I found that decisions get made a lot faster. Things just move along. The needle moves a lot faster with everything internally on projects. On I do think that that's, I don't think we can solve for that right now. But just know that the bigger the organization, often the longer you will wait to hear back and the more interviews you'd potentially be going to. However, staying in touch with a recruiter, whether that's through email, whether that's through LinkedIn, which is always a great idea as well, and just building and discussing sort of reasonable expectations when it comes to timelines to not disappoint yourself and to not hype yourself up, not hype yourself up. I don't think that's the word I'm looking for, but to, to get yourself to the point of anxiety where you think to yourself that you missed the opportunity because it's been two weeks, but really is just a part of the normal process. To wrap up our job search discussion today, Kate, I've spoken to a lot of professionals and they're thinking that they're saying to me that the job market is bad right now. What's your thoughts on that? And what's the outlook for the remainder of the year when it comes to job prospects for frustrated professionals that have been in the job search for quite some time. In my, from my view, from my point of view, the, the job market is definitely picking back up. I'm seeing a lot more jobs, decisions being made. People are gearing for the start of the fall and businesses are as well. And I don't think that anybody should get discouraged if you've been looking for a while. I think it's a chance to reassess your resume and reassess your gaps in terms of your missing skills and knowledge and things like that and find a way to address them. Maybe take the next couple of weeks to do so while the market is on the rise and take some courses, revamp your resume and off to the races. And I asked this question in the end of my discussion with all my guests. What was one big career challenge that you had to overcome throughout your journey to get to where you are today? Oh, that's a good one, Max. I don't really, I'm sure I've had many. I I think for me, my biggest career challenge was was actually getting into an HR role. And the reason being is the cumulative summary of all of the things we talked about. So it's that imposter syndrome. It's not having the experience while trying to break into an entirely different role while having the education background, right? And finding the transitions and the pieces that I've had in other jobs that I can maybe sum up to that 70% that I needed to apply for the role. 
But really and truly, I think it was just a matter of believing in myself, right? At some point where you've sent out so many resumes and no one's calling you or no one's giving you a job offer, it's really easy to retrieve back into your shell and say, you know what? Maybe I was wrong. Maybe that's not meant for me. Maybe I'm just going to go back to my my other nine to five or whatever the case may be. But if that's something that you're really passionate about, uh, and I was, obviously, I continued to beat my head against the wall and eventually the wall started to crack. And so luckily not my head, but just the wall. And it was it was about finding and networking and doing all of the things that we talked about. And then finally being able to say, okay, I've got that junior level job and then building my skill set up. I don't think most people want to start back at ground zero whenever they've already had experience. And that is the most challenging thing to overcome. But what we don't realize is while it took me six years to build my first career, it's taken me only two years to build my second career because I already have all that skills and knowledge. So when you're trying to convince somebody that you have the experience to take on that role, don't forget to convince yourself too. Again, thank you so much for coming on, Kate, for giving my listeners some career advice, whether they're a frustrated job seeker or they're looking to make a career transition to end the year off. So how can people reach out to you to learn more about your career coaching services and how you could potentially help them? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time that we've had together. In terms of reaching to me, they can contact us at info at the resume. Pro. They can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram under the pro. And they're welcome to reach out to me directly. Like I said, info at the resume pro.ca. And yeah, I wish everybody the best of luck and an amazing job hunt. Thanks, Kate. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.